Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping well right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody's splendidly doodly. Like. Strap in for some sex on the beach. Hello everyone. <laughs> yeah, we're here to discuss Cocktail from 1986, I think. I haven't written it down for some reason, not that it matters. Uh, gents, Cocktail, have you seen this one before? Because... I, I've got like proper recollections of seeing this video throughout all of my childhood. Every time I went into the local uh, spa or wherever we used to rent our videos from, I always I remember the front cover of this VHS so vividly. But for some reason, it's taken until the middle of 2022 before I've actually watched the film. Matt, have, you've not watched it either, have you, before no, now? No, I haven't seen it. I think, you know, growing up, there was too much sex for me to watch it when I was young, young. And then when I was the time where I was watching films that were a bit more adult, I'd gone too far the other way and I was watching The Crow and Spawn. (laughs) Never got around to this. Yeah, this this very much falls in the middle of those, doesn't it? (laughs) I thought he was going to say Emmanuel. (laughs) 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 I'm I'm surprised you've been able to um, wipe yourself off after the cruise loving from last week. Well, there's reasons. (laughs) I've been stuck yeah. to this chair all week. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, Shoot, I, you've seen it, yeah. Yeah, I'd seen it. I, I, it was one of them where, when you first get get the taste and the oh, fuck you, know, when you, <laughs> you <laughs> that damn smile. Exactly, is, is that damn smile? But for a big context, we we used to on a Friday night. We used to go down and under the um, boardwalk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then the drinks for less. Was it? No, it might have been Lintes wines. Might have always been called that. Anyway, the local offer that didn't care. Um, but it was the nineties again. Said this before. So it's good to go down there. Either if they wouldn't serve us, we get like a tramp to go and buy us some like scrumpy and stuff. So we used to go and drink it under the canal bridge like trolls. And that was what we used to do <laughs> on a Friday night. And then we used to get the. the used to be copies of Auto Trader that, that you know that was stacked up in the um, in the local Tesco. It was just an SL garage then, and we used to we used to go around this this place and uh, around around the corner, and they had a Reliant Robin, and we'd put these auto trade auto traders like on top of each other, and we'd stack them until we could wedge it underneath, and then push it over. It's genius, great times, but it was round about then, like when we got the taste for alcohol and stuff. I thought, well. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so I thought I thought the 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 SO has got the film. <laughs> so it was around about that that time yeah, where you, we were drinking we were drinking different things other than scrumpy, and you go into the shop and you see all these different things, and so then for the same reason you saw a like film like cocktail. Think, oh, that's exotic. That's strange. We'll, we'll we'll give that a go, and then so watch it around there, trying to learn about different drinks. 
and it was a very different film from that. But yeah, so you you look at late nineties, early two thousands when I watched it. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Okay. What a fucking journey that was. <laughs> oh, good god. <clears throat> so going into it, I got. I was hoping for it to be something like this sort of an eighties ride into the life of excess and madness. I, I don't know why. In my head, this film was going to be Tom Cruise's Roadhouse. I've no idea why I thought it was going to be Roadhouse, but that's what I was kind of hoping for with this movie. And it just did not happen at all, did it, in in this film. Matt, what were you thinking going into it, not knowing anything? Well, I because I Googled it first to get a, a grasp of the age it was, it was out, because... <sighs> As, as terrible as it sounds, if it was made in the 80s, it's automatically shite. <laughs> it's got to impress, do you know what I mean? For some reason, I don't know. I think there's a sweet spot of old, good... I think you mentioned it in the chat the other day, good old films from the 70s. And then it gets better from the 90s onwards. <laughs> the <laughs> 80s doesn't exist. Um, so I, I knew already that it was more romance than anything else because it was described in its brief... Uh, synopsis is like a romantic film so I wasn't really expecting it to be kind of like um, anything about like the stock market or or, or uh, not American Psycho but um, you know a, a critique on the uh, finance industry or Wolf on Wall Street or anything like that I knew it was more of a romantic type thing so it wasn't it wasn't massively surprising when it started to unfold mm. okay uh, Stu revisiting it after 20 years or whatever it's been. What were you like? Did you remember it well? Like, what were you hoping to get from a rewatch in 2022? Yeah, I mean, I, I was waiting for us to do this for some reason. I love this film anyway. I've, I've seen it loads of times, but not that was that was the first time I saw it back then, the Auto Trader days. Um, but yeah, it's. <laughs> I think a lot of people do go into it thinking that because you look at the neon sign on the cover and everything and all the the posters and all the blurb about it is just the, the shaking the, the um <laughs> all the, the preparation of the actual drinks themselves. That's what you see in the trailer and the, the, the eighties soundtrack, which again it opens to at the very start that we'll come to in a minute. Mm-hmm. And you think, Oh yeah, it's Top Gun again <clears throat> and then it very much is not. So yeah, I, so I, I know I knew exactly what I was getting into it, but it was there was a few things that I with modern thirty eight year old eyes were a bit suspect compared to watching it back then. Hmm. <clears throat> so looking at the cast, um, I've got to confess I've never heard of Brian Brown before. When I looked on his IMDb page, I've seen a few things that he's been in, but. I, I, he's brand new to me other than that to be perfectly honest Stu do you know who this uh, the guy who played Doug is he new to you I've never seen him anything else <laughs> no Matt any any further advance on that oh no I, I felt like I knew his voice but I just it's something familiar about him but at the same time I couldn't I couldn't pin him in, every, in no. anything hmm Obviously, we've got Elizabeth Shue, who I think is a great, and I, I think like she's always really watchable and she's always really likable with it as well, which you know goes a long way. Whether it was Black Back to the Future or Adventures in Babysitting, Karate Kid, even up to when she was in CSI a couple of years ago, I love Elizabeth Shue. She's like the quintessential nineteen eighties girlfriend, I think. Hmm. 
So I, I quite enjoyed watching her in this. And the other name who I sort of knew was uh, obviously Gina Gershon, who we will know from uh, Face Off and Inconceivable. Um, <clears throat> but she didn't get much of a run out in this one, sadly. The director, Roger Donaldson. It was a name I knew, but I couldn't quite place it until I checked his IMDb. He did spe- uh, Species, Dante's Peak, The Recruit with Pacino and Colin Farrell, if you remember that one, The Bank Job with Statham. Uh, Matt, do you remember that film that you couldn't remember the title of a few weeks ago where Cage pushes a, a diddler off an underpass bridge? Yes. That was Roger Dalton, Seeking Justice. Yes, of course. Yeah, that was the one, yeah. Um, he's very much a studio director. Like he doesn't seem to have any way of uh, like an auteur flair to his his work, but very much a solid hand in what he does. Um, so like knowing that going in, I thought, okay, it'll be fine at, at worst. I think I was wrong. Uh, IMDb describes this film as a talented New York City bartender takes a job at a bar in Jamaica and falls in love. Following the end of his army service, Brian Flanagan heads home to New York City with big dreams on how to make a million bucks. We get an excellent establishing shot of the New York City skyline, complete with the trade towers. Never forget. Brian hits up his uncle's bar, tells him that he's here to make a million. His uncle tells him to get his head out of the sky. He needs to think about what will happen when he gets a wife and a kid. Brian says it'll never happen. Brian's uncle charges him one dollar for a beer. One fucking dollar for a beer in New York City. Incredible. Quite quickly, Brian fails at landing his high-powered job and he falls into bartending whilst he attends business school. Brian is bartending for Doug Coughlin. When Brian talks to Doug about becoming a bartender, that cocktail that he makes himself looks absolutely atrocious. It's called a red eye. It contains vodka, beer, tomato juice, and a whole egg. So the white and the yolk. Like, who the fuck is drinking that? And why would you drink an egg in a cocktail? That is absolutely appalling. As someone that has drank raw eggs before, that wasn't pleasant. To then add the rest of that to the equation is not something I'm going to want to do anytime soon. Mm, Definitely not. After the burning the candle at both ends, Brian drops out of college and runs the bar. With Brian and Doug becoming local celebs of some sort. I hadn't noticed until this point, but the place they're doing the routine in, it's a fucking TGI Fridays. <laughs> like I thought it was going to be some trendy little bistro or independently owned bar where the great and the good of New York City go out to chill on a Friday night. Not a chain restaurant. That was just so weird. Their act catches the eye of a local photographer whom Brian dates. Doug bets Brian that it won't last. And it doesn't last because Doug sleeps with the photographer almost immediately, thus dissolving their business relationship. That scene was super weird. Like when you find out she's now with Doug after having dated Brian for it, she just completely blanks him, goes over and kisses Doug and then they start brawling. Like what the fuck was going on with that? It was just bizarre. He was a kiss and teller. Mm. He kissed. He kissed and then he told, and now he pays the price. Yeah. So that that's forty minutes into the film. That's basically the first act done. Matt, what were you thinking about the first act of this film? I thought it was pretty wild. I really, really enjoyed this first this first section of the movie. I um, 
I, because I knew it was meant to be this romantic film, I didn't expect it to be this kind of bro story gone wrong, really. There was very little love interest or love or romance in the start of this film. Um, it was like a party film, almost. Mm. It, you know, music was great. And the scenes where there's, you know, he's, he's training to be this bartender and they're going, you know, they're building up the ranks and getting known for being, you know, the this this double act, and they've got their plan of what they want to do. Um, I thought it was a great, great opening, um, and I was really enjoyed. I was really surprised and intrigued to see where the film was going to go. Mm. Um, I, th- I, I I enjoyed it for the same reasons you did. I did feel it was a little bit on the slow side. I feel like forty minutes to get to the point they got to. It felt like it took quite a while, especially when there's still like an hour left to go in the movie. Um, that's my only real criticism of the opening act was I just felt it was a little bit slow. But it did give me that 80s, this is going to be a bit over the top and fun that mm. I wanted. Um, Stu, first yeah. act, thoughts? I'd have just liked more, more of them in the actual bar itself. I mean, all of the swinging with the, the mixers and stuff like that, it was just, again... You're just sitting there with a smile on your face. I mean, the, the, some of the conversation, like you said, you, you bring in the women who then bring in the men, and then they spend the money, and that's where the money comes from. You think, yeah, genius, 80s, <laughs> 80s at its best. Yeah, again, I already said I love this film anyway, but yeah, I, maybe because I have seen it before multiple times that it, it went quicker than I thought. And I thought there were more. There was more in the actual, the original bar, which I thought, thought at first it was the one from "Do the Right Thing," but it's obviously not, is it? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's very different. <laughs> the second act opens out three years later with Brian running a bar in Jamaica. This was his big plan. He was going to make money in the Caribbean to open his own bar back up in New York. Whilst there, he befriends Jordan, which is Elizabeth Shue. His friendship turns to a passionate romance. One day, Doug finally rocks back up at Brian's bar. Doug is there on his honeymoon. Unlike Brian, Doug has made his millions. Except they're not really his millions, they're actually his wives. Uh, We see the love blossom between Brian and Jordan. But one day at the bar, Doug bets Brian that he couldn't seduce Bonnie, a rich older lady. And because Brian is a bit of a dickhead, he does it. Jordan sees Brian and Bonnie together. Devastated, she leaves Jamaica and returns home to New York. Doug offers Brian a job back in New York as he and his wife have opened up a bar. Brian tells tells Doug that he's going to New York with Bonnie now and that he's going to be a kept man. Brian is living with Bonnie. She's telling him what to wear and he's basically her toy boy now. She keeps fobbing him off about making him a salesman when that's not what he wants. He wants to be a businessman. He just goes along with it for the easy life. He appears less than happy at this point. He walks past the diner where Jordan works and he smiles to himself. Life with Bonnie appears vapid and vacuous. At an art gallery opening, Brian gets drunk and starts a fight and then breaks up with Bonnie. Brian returns to the diner in an attempt to apologise. Jordan doesn't put up with any of his shit and dumps pasta and soup all over Brian. Eventually, Jordan allows Brian to apologise and he explains why he did what he did. His answer was that he was dead to try and bang the old broad. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's not an excuse. And then he tries to blame Jordan for coming on too strong too fast. Like at this point, Brian looks like an absolute piece of shit in this film. He's not the person that you want to be rooting for at all. 
Jordan tells Brian that she's preggers and then kicks him out of her apartment. And that's the second act done on the 75 minute mark. Stu, what did you think of the middle portion? Well, he goes from being quite like the likeable underdog and the one who's done over in the first act to then the second, it's completely flipped on its head. Where <laughs> he's the, like you said, he's the dickhead. He's the one who's just chasing a bit of tail for the money, and just just to prove a point to someone who he openly fell out with and punched in the face, <laughs> and he's his ex business partner, who's his ex business partner for a reason. It was all a bit odd. That you think, well, he's he's rocked up after all these years. You obviously haven't spoke to each other again. No phones. Um, so why would you just to prove a point when he's done exactly what he was kind of mocking mocking you for doing earlier on? It does like it did, didn't make a lot of sense, really. Yeah, the the pendulum of the character swung completely back to the other side, and it didn't work for me either. The the middle portion, especially, Matt. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, again, because I was not looking forward to it being a romance film, I was kind of glad there was very little romance in it, apart from ticking off both beach sex and waterfall sex off the bucket list. <laughs> There's not that much of, of, of the love in there. And, like, you know, the, the fake loving he has with the older lady is exactly that. He very much realises that it's not for him. Um, it, it's It's silly, really, because all I could think about during this middle portion is... Is is this a Christmas Carol? This film is this the ghost of the pre- the, the present and, and the ghost of Tom Cruise to come or something? Because <laughs> it very much felt like he was just he was living the life of his old uh, of, of, of the master and to, uh, as the protege, um, and it was very much not about the romance that was going on. Um, I, I, I was still enjoying it, to be fair. I um, the change of switcher character was a little bit off putting in that. I think I really enjoyed the excitable young studness of Tom Cruise's character, mm-hmm. and then when he becomes the bitch boy for the for for the for the um for the rich woman, it lost its spark a little bit. The film, but and it never lost me. I still enjoyed myself through the second act. Mm. The third act begins where the first act started. Brian visiting his uncle. <clears throat> Brian tells him that he's going to be a father. Which is pretty presumptuous that Jordan is going to want anything to do with him. Brian says that he loves Jordan and that he's going to win her back. He returns to her apartment, but she has gone to stay with her parents. The neighbour tells him they live on Park Avenue, some of the richest real estate in New York City. Brian visits. Unbeknownst to Jordan, her father tries to pay Brian off. Jordan walks in on them talking. She confesses she never told Brian she was rich because he's obsessed with money. Brian says if he's so obsessed, why is he ripping up her father's cheque and then he storms out. <clears throat> Brian meets up with Doug. Doug is still with his millionaire wife. Doug tells Brian that he's broke. He had big ideas for his bar, but no idea on actually how to run a bar. He hasn't told his wife about this. Doug passes out drunk, so Brian takes Doug's wife home. She invites him up, tries to fuck him and then gets angry when Brian says no. <clears throat> Brian returns to to Doug to check on him. When he gets there, Doug's throat has been slit and there is blood everywhere. Brian returns home and finds a suicide note from Doug saying goodbye and to basically live life and not let stupid things stop him from just being happy. Brian decides to return to Park Avenue and fight for Jordan. He fights his way up to the pen test, tells Jordan that he has a plan on how he can take care of her and the child. 
Her father tries to stop them from leaving, but after a scuffle, Brian and Jordan leave together. <clears throat> we then see Brian and Jordan married. He tells some nonsense poem, then tells Jordan, uh, sorry, then Jordan tells him that she's actually got twins. And that's the third act wrapped up in 100 minutes. Matt, what did you think about the last portion? Uh, the only sticking point for me was the was the the death bit was completely not out of the blue, but and again it it almost factors into this whole is this a Christmas Carol because it was kind of like this is what your life's going to become if you follow this path kind of thing and and I felt I felt it was a little necessary like it, it wasn't in keeping with the with what was starting to get a bit of like an upbeat. Not upbeat because it was before they they you know had their whirlwind romance and said fuck you dad kind of thing. But um, I just thought it was a bit unnecessary the death thing. It was uh, there was no real hint. Yeah, yeah, he was unhappy. This guy um, Doug was unhappy, and you could tell that you know he didn't get what he he wasn't where he was wanted to be in life and everything else. But for a film that wasn't majorly gritty throughout, his redemption story could have been he opens the bar with with him and that, that, mm. that I felt like the death bit was a bit unnecessary a bit of a bolt out of the blue that was kind of not needed um but the end of the film yeah it was it was fine it was it was just um as it went on as it went on it became more and more popcorn and less enjoying the subject matter it became more disposable as a film <clears> sadly mm. yeah it it felt very very 80s i thought I don't know what it is, but there seems to be a trope of 80s films where things are all nice and bubbly and happy and then bang out of nowhere. Someone gets raped or there's an abortion or someone commits suicide in this film. Like <clears throat> There seems to be like a proper handbrake turn and that suicide was the handbrake turn in this and I mm. didn't really enjoy it. I, it didn't seem necessary and it, it felt very flippant almost. And for someone to be in such a position, they feel they need to take their lives it just didn't sit right with me, if I'm perfectly honest. But even the suicide note wasn't like that heartfelt. It was like it, it was vapid, it, wasn't it? it? It was almost a dig at the mm. end of it. It felt a little. I don't know. There was something that, like, obviously Tom Cruise's character was the only light in Doug's life, but you'd never know it from that suicide note. <laughs> You'd never know it from their interactions either because yeah. Doug is always a cunt to him throughout the film. He's always done something to fuck him over. So, yeah. And you are right, it did feel like there was a, a bit of gaslighting going on at the end, like almost, mm. well, you know, if if you follow me, it's just going to end up like suicide for you and you're sort of to blame for my suicide anyway. It just, uh, no, no, not for me. Stu? For that, for that reason, that's why it kind of, I bought into it because... He did act like that with him all the time. He was like, it was like at school. I, the girl that you like, you're gonna be terrible to them for for whatever reason that is. <laughs> um, that's what it seems. Their relationship that he obviously got on with him and he uh, he looked up to him, and then it was never reciprocated because he always, like you got the bit in the um, in when they get promoted to the second bar, and mm. she's taking his photo. And she, oh no, not you, just him. <laughs> You know, oh yeah, you can see this burning resentment in the back of his mind, and then he goes and breaks up his relationship. And you only think, oh yeah, he's waited three years to go and piss his life away again, and he's found him, and then he's gone and ruined it again. And you think, well, this this is obviously his way of being friends with someone. <laughs> he's just a bit of an oddball, oddball loner, really. And then you look at it, and he's done 
something that he hates for money and then it's all gone wrong. And for me, I kind of got it more that the fact that from the outside, you look at him, you think, oh, yeah, he's successful. He's got everything he wanted. But obviously, he's deeply troubled. He's got no personality and he's obviously got to the lowest ebb and killed himself. For me, it nailed it. You think, well, you look at it from that point of view, it's obviously it's it's all built up and it's obviously going to happen to him because we know from the inside, from the outside, he's loving life. So from that point of view, this time round, I got that much more than I did back in the 90s. Um, but yeah, the whole thing that she only went, she only agreed to go with him in the end because his best friend had killed himself <laughs> and that he now had a plan out of nowhere. It it all it was all a bit rushed. That was my my only problem with it. It was all a bit yeah. rushed, and there was it was almost like there was twenty minutes missing from somewhere. <laughs> mm, yeah, I mean, we'll come to it in a bit because I've got a criticism which very much agrees with what you've just said. <clears throat> so the budget on this film was an estimated twenty million dollars. The worldwide box office return was one hundred and seventy one <laughs> million dollars. Like Tom Cruise does not miss. So normally, like I know, I, I normally look at other films that were released this year, but I thought I'll have a look at Tom Cruise uh, at generally, like what he he rakes in on his films. His top ten biggest earners range from Maverick, obviously. We've got five Mission Impossible films, War of the Worlds, Last Samurai, Rain Man, and The Mummy. Each film gained more than four hundred million dollars at the international box office. His worldwide total where he was the lead or at least part of a lead ensemble is nearly $12 billion that he's <laughs> recouped. Like Tom Cruise does not miss. It's incredible. His domestic total, according to the numbers.com has him at about four and a half billion dollars. Uh, when I checked their numbers, they don't have all of the breakdowns in there though. So that's probably going to be considerably more. That four and a half billion puts Cruise in at number five in the highest grossing actors of all time. Number four is Tom Hanks, which I have absolutely no argument with that. I can see where that's come from. The top three are disappointing and show that box office dollars do not equate to quality. Sounds to you, Amy. Yeah. So we've got Scarlett Johansson, Robert Downey Jr., Samuel L. Jackson are the top three. So for Johansson and RDJ, their top ten. Nine of their top ten are MCU films, so that, that's not really worth much. Uh, Jackson is a slightly more respectable six out of ten of his films are, are MCU related. But well, yeah, who's I think that's incredible. Paying, who's paying top money for Samuel L. Jackson these days? Like, he is he not? A, I hate to say this, is he not a parody of himself these days, or is this just somewhat? Um, looking at his top ten, so we've got Endgame. First Avengers, Incredibles 2 he was in, but I mean, he's not really the star of that film, is he? Um, Age of Ultron, Captain Marvel, Spider-Man Far From Home, The Incredibles 1, Captain America Winter Soldier, Kong Skull Island, and The Kingsman Secret Service. Um, he's not really the, the main guy in any of those films, but he's he's a, he's a good, important part of all of them. He's mm. just not the focus of those films. I'm just amazed that he's convinced someone to pay him so much money to do it. That's that's the thing, I think. I think it's that he's a if he's in a film, you know that there's gonna be good people around him, maybe mm. more so than him. Yeah, true. I mean the last film I really remember him being the, the standout star was like Snakes on a Plane. 
Mm. Which, as fun as that was, it's not really a good film, is it? Let's be honest. So, Django? I, I don't know. He was in Django, but he wasn't the main part of mm. Django, was he? He was the Black mm. Snake Moan, whatever it's called. Yeah, the, the fucking ass going back some, yeah. Uh, but no, he was the, the Uncle Tom in Django, wasn't he? That was Jamie Foxx, was Django himself. So it's, Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, he, he's, I don't know. His star is very much in the supporting actor mould now. And much like Tom Cruise, I think he knows how to pick the roles more so than anything else. But I thought that was quite interesting that he was the the top one. It doesn't have the actual number on here. Let's see if I can find it. Uh, for the domestic box office, five point seven billion for for Samuel L. Jackson, and it's five and a half for Robert Downey Jr. So yeah, that's that. Uh, before I give you the scores for the ratings on Cocktail, though, um, tell me what you think for the audience and critical scores, Stu. Well, everyone always talks about Cocktail, so it's like it. it I've I'll be amazed if it's lower than an eight for both, just because of how popular it is. I mean, maybe, maybe, this might be just like a, a, a bubble kind of thing, but you always see people talk about Cocktail, so. Matt, what do you think? Um, I think it'd be liked by by the people than than more than the the critical. So the critics, I'd say, would give it. Uh, sorry, the the people, I'd say, would give it an eight. The critics would give it a six and a half to a seven. So the uh, the the audience scores are actually really close on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. IMDb is a five point nine, and the Rotten Tomatoes is a fifty eight. So they're very close. Stu, you were really close with the critical score. Um, it's a 9%. So you said 8, it's a 9. No way. I know you meant 8.0, but yeah, the critical yeah. score was a 9% on this film. That's there's a disgrace. A, yeah. There's only 45 reviewers, but everyone basically shat on it. Is this um, a Scientology thing? Is this a... Is this, yeah, a it's gotta be. is this hating the man, not the film or something? A lot of the reviews have been from the last decade or so, so there must obviously have been a re-release of this movie. Um, it's got to be. But, yeah, it's it's got a really, really poor score, which surprised me. I didn't think it would be high. I thought it would be, like, five-ish, five out of ten. I didn't expect it to be 9%. But it's one of those things with Rotten Tomatoes, just because it's an aggregator, you could give it a three out of... Or you could give it, like, a five out of ten, which is fine. But that counts as a bad review, so obviously mm-hmm. you have to take it with a pinch of salt. Mm-hmm. So Jack Garner from Garnet News. Ultimately, the ideas in this film fall flat as stale beer and honest emotions are as watered down as cheap whiskey. This cocktail is definitely on the rocks. Richard Corliss from Time Magazine. Cocktail is a bottle of rot gut in a Dom Perignon <laughs> box. Peter Travers from People magazine, as if realising that his star hasn't smiled for 15 minutes, Donaldson tacks on a goody-goody ending that would shame the Care Bears. How to sum up what went wrong? How to sum up what went wrong? Cruz has a line in the movie: "Flat beer from rusty pipes." I can't argue with any of those points, though. To be perfectly honest, like you said, Stu, that that review from Peter Travers that. That last 15 minutes, it just feels really tacked on and rushed and out of place to the rest of the film. It does feel like they've just chucked it in there because it was going so downbeat for Tom Cruise. Hmm. So I I completely get where the reviews are coming from with it. 
Uh, the Amazon.com reviews, though. 4.7 out of 5. This might be one of the highest rated films that we have done on Amazon.com. 92% gave it a 4 or a 5 star <laughs> rating. Cosmic Cupcake loved this film because it was the first film they saw starring Tom Cruise. Uh, they loved the Irish humour speckled throughout. I'm not trying to be facetious what Irish humour was in this film. Am I missing something with this review? What, I mean, what I didn't even humor? think it was... Oh, that's it. Like, I didn't think there was any humour in this film. I didn't think it was a funny movie. So I'm a little bit confused what they're trying to get at with that one. But apparently there was enough Irish humour to give it five stars. John S. gave it five stars. It's a great movie. Teaches you some stuff for bartending, but moves a little too fast. Five stars. Like <laughs> it, it didn't teach me anything about bartending, I've got to be honest. <laughs> Other than there's a cocktail where you crack an egg in it. And I still had to look for that myself. So, yeah, it doesn't teach you anything. Uh, one last reviewer who gave it five stars. This is one of many movies that Tom Cruise starred in that I actually liked, especially the music in this movie. I'm talking about the Beach Boys song, Kokomoa. I love that song and so does my brother. He's a Beach Boys fan. I recommend this movie <laughs> for fans of Tom Cruise and the Beach Boys. <laughs> five stars. <laughs> Incredible. Right, good, bad and crazy. Stu, kick us off. I mean, I'll get the crazy out there right now. The fact that he tried to do a Jamaican accent. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, anything past 97, you're not doing that. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) But he wasn't even good, though. He was really, really bad. Mm. Oh, dear. Um, I mean, the... The good. I mean, I, I did. I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I said already. I enjoyed this film anyway. I, I always have done ever since I saw it. I, it's something I don't know really why I do. It's because it's not as it's not as good as I remembered it. And there's some deeper underlying problems going on that I didn't realize 15, 20 odd years ago. Um, yeah, I thought I thought Tom Cruise was good in it though, as he as he tends to be. Although there was no problem with his performance whatsoever, I mean he he's got that kind of like we said and um, we said last week he's got this kind of the likability factor, and even though he was a bit of a twat for like, half the film, you still <laughs> liked him in the end, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I mean, the the bad, um, the fact that Doug, the guy who played Doug, just disappeared off the face of the earth, <laughs> and you think well. He wasn't terrible, and we've seen we've seen supporting actors do way worse in the Cage films over the last two years. And I, I, I thought, oh well, he's, he's got someone about him there—that Australian wit, and wherever. But he, I did the same thing. I looked looked him up after. I thought, well, he looks familiar, but he hasn't been in anything else that you've seen. So I know it's it's just baffling, but yeah, I mean the bad. The fact that he's missing and the fact that it was 20 minutes too short because that that ending was too rushed and it didn't make any sense. Mm, I'm not sure if I agree that it's too short. I think it wasn't paced correctly. I feel like the first act really went on much longer than it necessarily needed to, uh, which meant that the runtime then got drastically cut down at the end. So I think they could have just balanced it better, but yeah, I, I do agree with most of what you've said. 
Matt, what are your thoughts? So, um, I, I really liked the party atmosphere of a lot of the film. It felt very fun, and um, especially the first kind of 40, 50 minutes. I didn't really have a problem with the pacing of it. I was never bored. Um, and it was very... It was an easy watch. Nothing challenging about it, but it was a very easy watch. I didn't check the check the clock loads or anything like that. Um, the, the 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 bad really was it, it was it was really predictable really in the end. Apart from the swerve of maybe the baby and the suicide, it was really predictable. Me and Sam watched this together, and like it was, we basically had a guessing game of how this film was going to pan out, and we got pretty much every bit of it spot on. Um, we like it was it was quite paint by numbers. I, I use that term a lot, but it really was. It was very mm. predictable what was going on with it, which was a shame, really, because um, I would have liked to have had a bit more kind of guessing about. But that's 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 romance in Hollywood, isn't it? It's not meant to be. It's not meant to be Inception. Um, the crazy though was that that he was surprised that she was rich. What, what's surprising about it? She's at this luxury Jamaican resort <laughs> on her own. <laughs> like <laughs> she's at the sandals or whatever complex it is or anything. Like, and I don't think they really explain that that she's there on like work experience or she's like a Tui rep or anything. So, what? Why? Why is he surprised that she's loaded with money? It just seemed mm. a bit odd to me. Mm. Uh, my good. I thought the acting all round was pretty good in this film. Um, I thought Cruz was like, you can see his star is very much on the rise in this and you can see why it is. I thought he was great, even though his character was a prick for, as you said, like half of the film. Uh, Elizabeth Shue, I thought was fantastic. I genuinely cared for her character more than anyone else in it. Like you, you wanted her to do well, even if the other arseholes died, which they, well, one of them literally did in the film. So yeah. Um, the bad, it's too 80s for me. <laughs> the whole greed is good. And like, I get the death of Doug is supposed to like spur Brian on to becoming a good guy and putting happiness ahead of money. But it felt like that revelation came so late in the day that there was no actual demonstration of him learning that lesson. Like He was told it, fine, but I don't feel like he ever put that lesson into practice. Oh yeah, um, the other thing as well. So obviously, when he does then go to Jordan at the end of the film to say that he's learned his lesson and that he doesn't care about that money, that's a really easy thing to say when you're trying to cop off with a millionaire's daughter. <laughs> like it, it's not much of a, a revelation. It's not much of a lesson learned on his part. It, it rang a little hollow. I think is the the best way to put it for me. Uh, the crazy is a few bits that I've just stolen from IMDb, to be perfectly honest. So the names that were considered for Brian Flanagan if Tom Cruise wasn't available. Charlie Sheen, I, I can completely understand that. Perfect. Uh, the other name, Jim Carrey. Hmm. I'm, I'm not sure about that. He'd be way too young, wouldn't he? Well, I think he'd done Earth Girls Are Easy, I think was the only other film he'd done by then, which was mid to late 80s which is a very sort of weird, silly comedy nonsense. So it just doesn't, that's just a really weird choice that one is for me. Uh, in the novel American Psycho, Patrick Bateman shares an elevator with Tom Cruise and he commends Cruise on his performance in the movie Bartender. Uh, the founder of the Razzies, John Wilson, he placed this film in his book 
the 100 most enjoyably bad movies ever made. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree with that, if I'm honest. But uh, but my real crazy, because let's be honest, there is nothing crazier than Scientology. <laughs> it was during the pre-production of this film where Tom Cruise met his first wife, Mimi Rogers. Her father was close friends with L. Ron Hubbard. So this film is the reason that Cruz then got into the batshittery that was Scientology. So this is the, the the reason why. So did you enjoy the film, Stu? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did enjoy it. And watching it again now for probably the third or fourth time, I took more from it this time, like I've said. Um, but yeah, I, overall, I did enjoy it. And... I will watch it again. <laughs> it's, I think that's a given at this point. But yeah, even more so now because it, it. I think there is more to it than the mad eightiesness of it. I think you could, if you probably dig deep into it, I think there's more to it than meets the eye with this. Mm, I'm not sure I agree. Um, I, I felt it. It felt a bit facile. It felt very surface level, and it felt quite contrived. I think it all felt a bit forced and unnatural. Like the story didn't develop it just was there and you're gonna fucking watch it and there you go I, I didn't hate it but it wasn't great like it's not enough to, uh, to say that i enjoyed the film you know if it was a, a binary choice it's gonna fall on the no side for me matt yeah i enjoyed it i don't um i don't regret watching it um at all really um it's not without its flaws but I described it to Sam really as uh, it's a perfect Sunday afternoon watch with your missus film, really. Don't want to be challenged. You want something that's easy to watch. Want something that you can nip out and just quickly check on your tea that you're cooking and you ain't going to miss anything kind of thing. It's it's just perfectly fine. It was, it was, it was, yeah, I, en- I enjoyed it to be fair. Fair enough. Right then. So finish the sentence. If you enjoyed cocktail, you might also like. Stu? Um, Moulin Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A, a, a fun a, out there film about drinking and pubs and bars. There you go. Okay. That's as good a reason as any aspect. Uh, Matt? Well, <laughs> I don't think it's if you like this film, but if you want to like an 80s hit with the grittiness that actually you wanted, then just, just go watch Scarface. Um, because you might not get a love story, um, but you'll certainly get a lot of cocaine and you'll get 80s in abundance um, well, in this film. There's a bit of a weird love story with his sister. I mean, that's all a bit yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. bizarre. So, I mean, yeah, why not? Fuck it. Um, for me, I'm going to recommend Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief. It's a fantastic HBO documentary from 2015. It looks at the history of the Church of Scientology, their battles to get recognised as a religion so they can avoid tax, the disappearance of their leader's wife, and also Tom Cruise's role within it all. It's really interesting. And if you enjoyed that, I'd also recommend checking out My Scientology Scientology Movie by Louis Theroux, which just shows you even more of the fucked upness that comes along with those kooky bastards. Excellent. Right, so that is another Tom Cruise. Actually, it's the first Tom Cruise film that we've uh, ever looked at, and it's in the record books. If you enjoyed this film or any others, please get in contact with us on cagefightingpod at gmail.com. And make sure you've got us on the socials, which is the Twitter and Insta, at cagefightingpod. 
as you're listening to us now, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. And if you could leave us a review on whatever medium you listen to us on, we would truly appreciate it. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves and check in with your pals and have a great week ahead. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? I think since we've missed this feature altogether, the fact that Cage would obviously have played Doug if he'd have been picked in this film. So there we are. (laughs) I was going to ask it. I suppose we can do it. I was going to ask, but then I thought, really, there's only really one role for like modern day Nick Cage, and that would be Doug. Yeah, but it's would easy. would a nineteen eighty eight Cage have done the Tom Cruise role? Well, do you think? From Raising Arizona, mm. it, yeah, similar kind of thingy. So I think it'd have been. I, I, mm, yeah, I don't think he would have hit quite as hard on this one. I think it's, if he'd have tried to crazy Cage this, it would have got. It would have felt really out out of the ordinary. I think. There's, there's having fun like you did in the bars, but then there's like staring down the lens of the camera and looking like you've been coked up, which Cage does quite often. Yeah, I mean, what we'd probably have got vampires kiss Cage at this point. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> anyway, no. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, uh, don't drink white lightning, kids. It's bad for you. Ta-ra. <laughs> it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. Oh, 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 oh